Hi, Pat here from the Emerging Markets Enthusiast. And this was just a fantastic conversation there with Paulo from SoftBank. So candid, authentic, and he gave so many insights into SoftBank and how they're investing in startups in Latin America. But foremost, how actually entrepreneurship makes a massive difference in the region. So onto the episode and enjoy. Uh, make sure that you follow the Emerging Markets Enthusiast on Twitter and on LinkedIn to always be updated on the latest episodes. Hi, everyone. This is Patrick Alex from the Emerging Markets Enthusiast Podcast. And we are back with another episode. This time, I've got one of the leading investors of the LATAM ecosystem here with me, Paolo Bassoni from SoftBank, the SoftBank fund that is investing and betting big on LATAM for last year. So really great having you on the show, Paolo, and looking forward to chat more about your wallet, SoftBank, and your take on the LATAM ecosystem. Thank you, Patrick. I love to be part of the show and huge pleasure to be here. Well, thanks so much. Uh, thanks for making the time. And just Just to dive into the conversation, uh, where are you actually calling in from? I understand SoftBank is based out of Miami, but uh, you're Brazilian, so where are you at the moment? To make matters complicated, I'm calling from Sag Harbor in the Hamptons. That's basically where I spend all my summer and most of my time. Fantastic. Certainly not a bad spot to spend the summer. Just to dive directly into the conversation, I was wondering, how did you actually make your way into the world of venture and entrepreneurship? I came from the public investing side. So there are two ways that people come into the venture world. One is from being an entrepreneur and then starting a VC fund, very common path. I come from the opposite. I come from uh, having experience with publicly traded companies at third point. And I was leading Latin America for, for Dan at third, at third point. And I, I was getting very involved with anchoring IPOs, getting shown a lot of private opportunities before companies go public. I decided to try to raise a fund on my own called 30 Knots. Uh, in the middle of the fundraising process, SoftBank announced the $5 billion Latin America fund. They approached us and we ended up joining SoftBank instead of raising our fund. And this is part of history now. Now we we have invested the entire $5 billion. We're going for hopefully for the next $5 billion and backing more than 40 companies in Latin America. Fantastic. Yeah, we're certainly going to dive more into your role at SoftBank and uh, how big actually SoftBank's bet is on the region and uh, the portfolio you have built in such a short period of time. But before that, I wanted to take it a bit larger and i know that you're quite big on the topic of social mobility and entrepreneurship especially in emerging markets you also have a bit of a personal story in that sense that you really care about this topic so i was wondering if you could elaborate a bit on that why you think that entrepreneurship and tech startups are so important for emerging markets and latam in particular maybe yeah absolutely so first of all i'm from sao paulo I grew up in a very poor neighborhood called Jardim Angela in the outskirts of Sao Paulo. And it took me an hour to go to school <laughs> uh, each way. And this was in the in the 80s when traffic wasn't as bad. So <laughs> it's I lived pretty far out from what people consider a middle class civilization. I was in the pretty bad area of the city. I grew up in a family of politicians, left-wing politicians. My mother was a congresswoman until I was 16 years old. So she served 
four terms in Brazil. And that ingrained in me some greater responsibility in life than just making money. And funny enough, I ended up in, in finance, ended up you know, going to school in very business-like environments, but never lost this desire to help out. In fact, when I went to do business school, I did a joint degree, the HBIs with the Kennedy School, the School of Government at, at Harvard. And the reason is because of my history. And now that I have this privilege of helping SoftBank find amazing entrepreneurs in Latin America, to me, what that means really is I got a little bit tired of waiting for governments to get things right in LATAM. The odds that that will happen are very, very, very low. So what will change people's lives is a technology creating cheaper and better services and products and increasing standards of living in the region. Now, there is one big problem with all of that, which is the creators of technology accumulate a disproportionate amount of wealth. And if they don't have a good mind in terms of giving that back to society in our region, we're going to increase the wealth gap between those who have it and those who don't. This is why when I saw the Vivela is announcing his pledge a couple of weeks ago, I was extremely happy. I actually texted him. I couldn't, I, I was truly, truly happy that he was taking the leadership and doing that because without people like him, we're going to have one day a, a big issue in terms of disparity. So what makes people, interestingly enough, I think in the next 20 years, I do think humans are, especially in Latin America, are going to have better standards of living, but that doesn't mean they're going to be happier. That's a weird thing about life. What makes you happy tends to be your relative position vis-a-vis -vis others. And that is oftentimes driven by, by wealth gaps. And, you know, I, I see a society that we all live better, but we're not necessarily happier, especially if we don't think that the rules of the game are, quote, fair. So I, I think it takes leadership to close that gap and give it back. Absolutely. You know, it's fantastic points you're making there. Just for the audience, briefly in terms of context, David Vallis, founder of New Bank, he signed the Giving Pledge and is committing a lot of his wealth uh, to give back to society. And uh, that that's especially a kind of leadership uh, I feel we, we certainly need. And uh, it's also interesting that you bring it up in terms of uh, personal wealth versus happiness. I was wondering, you had a tremendous journey and would guess that you were also socialized in a certain way by your parents and by more leftist perspective. How has your relationship to personal success evolved over the course of your career as you have certainly achieved what many could only dream of? And how did happiness for you evolve across your career as you, as you became older? No, it's, a, it's a great question. I think for me, it's all about the sense of achievement, you know, setting setting yourself for a big challenge and going after it and seeing how far you can go and how much you can, you know, how, how, how close can you get to that, to those goals. And I think that's what makes me happy. I never work for, for money. Like I always work for doing something interesting with cool people, with impactful things. So for example, nowadays, what I really, really care about are the entrepreneurs and making sure they have all the tools they need to transform Latin America in the best possible way. So that means capital, that means support in recruiting, that means uh, experts helping them solve specific problems, being there in the tough times, being there in the good times, and being very, very consistent. So my clients, so to speak, are the entrepreneurs. Interestingly enough, we if I do a good job for the entrepreneurs, 
I am almost certain that SoftBank Group will be very happy with the returns and the performance because our reputation within the community will be very high, allowing us access to the best entrepreneurs. And if you have access to the best entrepreneurs, you have access to the best returns. It's, it's quite simple. So that's how I see it. So I, I wake up every day thinking how I can do better vis-a-vis the entrepreneurs. In fact, we do uh, started tracking NPS scores with the CEOs of our portfolio companies. And whenever we detect any issue, we try to solve it as quickly as possible because that's oftentimes the, the critical KPI going forward. Brilliant. Perfectly segues into my next question, coming a bit closer to your day job at, at SoftBank. And uh, I mean, it's, it's part of history in LATAM, I guess, when Marcelo Klaue started pitching uh, the, the opportunity of LATAM and, and betting big. I can still remember uh, two years back, I think it's already now when, when the fund for LATAM was launched, the first five billion and everybody's saying, is there going to be enough deal flow? Right. And now we are two years later, SoftBank has built all that portfolio in the region, invested in many unicorns and you've extended the fund. So how has the journey been? I guess there was enough deal flow in the end and the opportunity in LATAM is, is bigger than ever. I must say Marcelo and Massa were both quite visionaries. I was myself asking that question is, can I possibly invest $5 billion dollars well? <laughs> and fast forward two years, I would tell you, you know, that would be an amazing vintage because there was a tremendous amount, a lack of capital in the region. There were some very good funds doing really good work, but overall, uh, you know, entrepreneurs lack options and lack deep capital pools. That has completely changed two years into the journey. So today I would say every single global VC fund and, and crossover fund looks at Latin America with a lot of attention and entrepreneurs have lots of options. Capital is a commodity. So what, what really differentiates you is how you deal with your entrepreneurs and reputation in the system. And we want to be those guys who work with you closely from A to Z in your cycle, uh, even after you're done with your company, hopefully partner with you in some other shape or form. So that's kind of our approach to it which is different than most people. And I think that approach has you know, long longevity and is very sustainable. Well, what I do care about quite a bit is building some franchise value, making sure our reputation is, is sky high with entrepreneurs so that we can continue to do this for decades to come. I don't want to play a short-term game and, and just make a quick buck. That's not what we're interested in, not what I am interested at all. So I think that they, it goes to show how we're thinking about it. I'm thinking about it already five years out, 10 years out, and how we're going to make sure we are differentiated. A lot of things to unpack there. As you were saying, I mean, there's more competition in the VC ecosystem than ever in, in LATAM. More money coming in from really respectable investors from particularly, one could say, Sequoia's piece, obviously, on, on LATAM uh, just confirmed what, what everybody who's been operating in LATAM for quite some time is the potential of the region. I was wondering also in that sense, given that we got to operate at a much faster pace than ever, tickets are written mass, much faster than ever, term sheets are presented much faster than ever. How does SoftBank find deals, screen deals? How do you make sure that you are the party on the table that eventually the entrepreneur decides to team up with? Perfect. Great question. 
So we have a team of 30 investment professionals dedicated just to Latin America. On top of that, uh, recently, Alex Shapiro joined as the head of operating partner, and he's going to build, he's building a team right now, 15 experts in different fields in, from recruiting to cloud to digital marketing. So let's say we have a team of you know, 45, 50 people. If we're not meeting companies first, we are failing. So our duty is to know exactly everything is going on, mapping the market and choosing the right horses. And of course, sometimes uh, we'll choose the wrong horse. I ho we hope, hope not to make that mistake a lot. Sometimes we'll choose to wait because we're not sure what the horse, the best horse is. But once we do choose a horse, we want to go back it for a long, 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 long time. So that's a little bit different than other funds. We, we are very conscious about this idea that we can't bet in everyone. Now, sometimes we, we bet in a, in a, in a play in Mexico and a, in a similar play in Brazil. We think that's kind of fair game. Uh, unless the company is already operating in other countries. And managing conflict is now part of my day job. It's a, a very difficult task because, of course, our job is to invest. Uh, of course, entrepreneurs would like us to do nothing in their broadly speaking sector. So managing those situations well, it's, 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 it's going to take time and it's going to be difficult. But it's very clear to us what our value proposition is. Lastly, I think we're becoming more flexible as well. So we are building a team to do more early stage. So our growth equity team has been coming in into some Series A situations, but we need to do that more systematically because the reality is everyone is doing all aspects of investing from seed to public equity. So so must we. So we're, we're building a team specifically for that with specific investment professionals, specific process, and capital allocation dedicated to, to seed and, and Series A. We're doing a lot of things, changing a lot of things all the time. We're always experimenting. So SoftBank Latin America is an evolving organization. We, we believe in this concept of Kaizen, which is constantly improvement. And we're always trying something new. And then if it, it works, we continue. If it doesn't, we change it. But we don't believe we, we have everything perfect. Uh, we do believe, however, in trying to be as perfect as possible. So one of the other things we track as a result of all of that is how many deals we miss. And we can miss because of a conflict or we can miss because we never met the company. That's a huge miss. Or we can miss because we met the company but didn't judge it correctly. That's another bad one that we don't like to have. And we're not going to be perfect. We're going to have misses. But we want to minimize those. Those hurt much more than investing in a company that goes to zero. We, we, of course, we have those already and we will continue to have those that go to zero. But what kills us is not being part of awesome stories that become transformational in the region and create a lot of value to the investors. Absolutely. Tremendous. And you, you didn't have many misses. I mean, if one looks, looks at the portfolio of SoftBank Latam. No, we did. We did. <laughs> but yeah, I think that there's some, some, some great companies there and which you're a board member of, of several of those, Creditas, Vitex, just to mention a few. And I was wondering in that sense, I mean, being a board member is still one of the, I'd say, fiduciary duties as an investor where you have that 
really obligation to to be on boards and support the founder what's your take on adding value on boards how important is it actually how much weight do you put on it would you rather focus on those one-on-one -on -one catch up calls you have and and the team you have behind to support the entrepreneurs throughout but what what's your take on on board management in general good question i would say first You gotta do every all the above. So you gotta do one one on one catch ups. You gotta do boards, and you gotta be available whenever the entrepreneur asks you to be available. It's great to be in so many boards so that I, you get the experience and 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 the ability to compare what kind of board practices work and kind of what board practices don't work. So oftentimes, one of my goals is to help the entrepreneur drive the board in an efficient way. The board meaning be less about results, more about strategic issues. So a, a big mistake is going through the quarter numbers, spending a bunch of the board time on, on that when that can be done ahead of time. And instead, use the good minds in the board to have truly hard debates. And if I'm not seeing that, I force that. So that's point number one. Second is capital location. So especially in the later stage, it's all about capital location. Are you going to do M&A? Are you going to invest more greenfield? Are you going to raise capital? Or what are you going to do? Like, how are you going to allocate the capital? Are you going to allocate the new product? Are, what kind of risks are we willing to take as a firm? Even the, the venture capital mentality is all sometimes helpful to, to the capital allocation decisions. How many times have I seen entrepreneurs who raise money as uh, super exciting and sexy growth equity companies? And then when it comes to M&A, they want to be value investors. <laughs> so sometimes it's okay to be a value investors, but some, there is a reason things are cheap, right? You know, most cheap things don't work. So, you know, one of my tasks is to challenge a little bit when entrepreneurs want to make an acquisition just because something is cheap, because in my mind, that makes absolutely no sense. So it has to be a different dynamic. It has to be a, an aqua hire dynamic or a dynamic of entering a new market with a good player that has something good. Otherwise, recreating things always takes more effort than creating from scratch. So th those are some of my contributions at the board level. And then lastly, is working well with other board members, respecting everyone's opinion and being supportive and, and collaborative with others, all to the benefit of the company and all to the benefit of the entrepreneur. If you, if you understand who you're serving, which is really the entrepreneur and, and the company, not your, your capital, then you're in good shape at the board. I think the, the mistake is trying to represent your capital only and your interests only. And, and that is a bad board representation. Really, really great points there. And it's certainly ever evolving. And when you give advice to entrepreneurs that are just starting out, building their board, and they're thinking about, well, raising with these investors, they, they're trying to get the big names, but then they do not necessarily know who's going to be sitting on their board. How should an entrepreneur approach this board building and making sure that they have different personalities on board? Do you as a board member try to be of support there? Because I mean, it's, it's, it's complex and you want to have those different persona, different value adds, different backgrounds that can add value to your company on the board. Board construction is I think you already said it all. Yeah, I think you already said it all. I mean, boards should be complementary, should be diverse, should be different experiences, a mix between all sorts of walks of life so that conversation can be a good one. And more, most importantly, it should be really capable and smart people. Otherwise, you get poor advice. So like, like having someone weak at the board can destroy a lot of value. 
because that can derail conversations and take you to places that you don't want to go. So entrepreneurs are very should be very careful on who they allow in the board. They should be choosing the investor. And how many times have a, have a company that I'm talking to said, okay, uh, but who's going to be in the board? I want to know exactly the person. I want to get to know that person. The other day I did a call with an entrepreneur where I spent an hour and a half telling the entrepreneur my personal story and what I value in life and making sure that matched his view of the world and how he behaves so that it would make him comfortable that if we were to invest and join the board, that that would work for him. I thought that was a terrific exercise. Most entrepreneurs don't do that exercise before they accept an investor. I saw that as an awesomely positive signal that this person really thinks long-term and thinks very strategically about the board. Oftentimes, you know, entrepreneurs just let their board be built without conscious action. And they just, the board just happens to be rep- representation from the investors without the entrepreneur taking a lead in shaping that board. So what I recommend entrepreneurs do is take an active lead in shaping that board. I think that's very, very important. Fantastic points. Uh, really valuable insight. To make it a bit spicier, I mean, there's kind of competition between SoftBank and Tiger. Those are those lead tables who's got more unicorns. Uh, this is obviously all press. I don't know how much you internally buy into this and how much uh, you have that frenemy on that competition going on, but certainly you've got different approaches. When you compare Tiger to SoftBank, what to you makes the two firms uniquely different from each other, uh, considering that they're playing the game both very well, of course? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, we have deep respect for Tiger and what they've done over time and the results. We very much come from uh, a place where we start to look to understand before we judge. And we do have a different business model though. Tiger doesn't have 50 people dedicated to Latin America. They will never have 50 people dedicated to Latin America. They have a very high AUM to investment professional ratio and they try to they mostly try to outsource as much as they can to consulting companies like bank consulting. We tend to do all the research in-house and we tend to have deeper relationships in the ecosystem. We create things for the ecosystem, for example, data science for all, which is our yearly program where we train people to on data science to eventually be able to implement AI in companies. We now have created Open School in Miami where our entrepreneurs and ourselves, we teach venture capital. We try to share knowledge. We, we try to have a very ecosystem-driven mindset of value creation for the region and the ecosystem and giving it back. That's a very different approach. It, it might be much much less efficient from an economics perspective, but that's what we do and that's what we like to do. Lastly, uh, the SoftBank Latin America has its own kind of culture and its own values, and we try to live by those every day, which one of them is being humble and being open-minded. So we are always looking at what others are doing and trying to learn from it, never being defensive. So one of the biggest things we don't want happen in our group is defensiveness. So if you lose a deal, there must be a reason. We must understand why. Uh, We must try to correct that in the future. We we never try to badmouth others to justify our own weaknesses. To the contrary, we try to learn from the mistakes. That's the only way forward. 
So I, I was wondering, considering that obviously uh, there's more VC money than ever coming into the region. And finally, we might have the opportunity for more aggressive business models. Entrepreneurs might have the opportunity not to think of how to be profitable in the short term, to be always cash flow positive. Now we can maybe go into frontier tech, biotech, medtech, those businesses and industries that take some more time to create uh, cash flow. What's your take on that? Are we there already? Do we still have to double down more on fintech, e-commerce and other businesses until we can really dive into frontier tech? How do you see the VC ecosystem and entrepreneurship ecosystem evolving? Not seeing much in biotech. So let's start there. Plus biotech is very specific. I don't think we're capable of doing biotech unless we add a partner who knows a lot about biotech. Biotech is a very specific field. In deep tech, we have recently announced an investment in Satellogic, which is this Argentinian company launching satellites all over the globe to monitor every every inch of Earth. So that's a very interesting company, touches deep tech. The deep tech is about making sure the satellite's cheap enough so that it can be launched every year and replaced every three years in a cost-effective way. Other than that, to be quite honest with you, we don't see that much. The capital is always going to follow the talent. So is the talent let them wanting to do those harder projects? Or is the talent in Latin wanting to do more consumer-oriented or software companies? I think right now they want to do the latter, you know? And also, like, these deeper tech things, maybe you need to be in the U.S., maybe you need to be in a place where you meet people from all other parts of the globe and you join forces with them because the problem is very, very hard and it's not just a Brazilian team or an Argentinian team or, or so on. Having said that, There will be exceptions coming from, from Latin America, and we're ready to back them if we think they're, they're worthy of, uh, of the risk. I, I hope it, it changes, but I don't think we don't see much of that right now. Certainly still a lot of potential. As I've got more exposure to the Chilean ecosystem, I'm, I'm quite bullish on food tech, and, and we see some interesting traction on biotech, but there's certainly still, still a lot of things to be done. And really looking forward to see different business models and new innovations coming out of all, all industries where, where LATAM can play an important role. And in that sense, do you feel like the VC ecosystem is going, getting overheated? Looking at the pace of unicorns that are being produced, looking at how due diligence times have gone down and how valuations maybe in fintech have gone up in, in Brazil. Should we be careful there? Or do you think this is finally we are creating the value and entrepreneurs get what they, they deserve and the attention of global investors as it should be. Everyone in the history of venture capital in the US always thought that things were getting overheated. There was too much capital chasing fewer opportunities. So the, the reality is the asset class on average adds no value to investors. So the median return of VC funds in the US is zero. However, the top quartile on top this aisle add a tremendous amount of value. So what is going on? What's going on is you must have access to the best opportunities. It's a game of access. It's not a game of just throwing darts because the average average investment will be poor, right? So you got to make sure you can see things before others and you have the ability to choose the best. If you have the ability to choose the best and you have the ability to be there first, I'm not worried at all. I think things are going to get better because more and more people are becoming entrepreneurs. Not only that, there are second-time entrepreneurs. Not only that, there are people who are part of successful entrepreneurial companies like Nubank and others who are spinning off and doing new things. 
And that's exciting to back those people as well. And if you can be one of the venture funds backing those people, you're in good shape. The other day, I talked to a venture capitalist uh, who said that you know their strategy now is to identify the best teams in the best venture capital backed companies and telling them we're good to fund you in your seed regardless of your idea. <laughs> that's a smart, that, that, I thought that was a pretty smart idea because it's all about that in the seed stage anyway. So why not be aggressive and active with the people that you think are going to be the next founders? So we're, we're experiencing that second founder kind of effect in LATAM. The first wave of founders were often foreigners in, in other countries, like Sergio from Creditas is from Spain and Fabian is from France. Um, and then David Vélez is Colombian and started a company in Brazil. <laughs> I can go on and on. And Carlos from Cavac is from Venezuela and started Cavac in Mexico. I can go on and on and on about this first wave of uh, outsiders, I call it, who don't have any respect for the incumbents and think everything is possible. That's why they, they did what they did. And now the people that work with them are saying, oh, I, I learned something here. I think I can do it. You know, I can do it too. And then you have many new ideas and many new inter good entrepreneurs around. Absolutely splendid. No, I couldn't agree more. Those multiplier effects we are, we are so big at at Endeavor overseas is crucial really to get the flywheel spinning. And uh, we're coming slowly to, to the end already, uh, but there's three questions I'm asking everyone on the podcast, which is our fast speed round. Um, would you be ready for those three questions? Of course. Awesome. Brilliant. First question is, who is an entrepreneur you admire and why? Oh, man, I admire so many of our entrepreneurs. I don't have a favorite. I have a class of favorites. You know, I am deeply devoted to Gabriel of Quintanda, to Geraldo Mariano of Vitex, to Thiago of Olis, Daniel of Madeira. I can get, go on and on and on here. And I want to make sure that you have the best support possible from, from me. Uh, Sergio also from, from Creditas. They can go on and on. There are so many good guys. And what I like about them is how they're giving back oftentimes. They they become investors themselves in angel rounds. They advise entrepreneurs. They foster the ecosystem further for uh, to allow new people to come in and, and create their own stories and help their customers with cheaper and better products, which is always the benefit of society. I, I didn't answer your question, but that's how I feel. I feel like they're all, all, all of them are my favorites. That's fine. We, we're going to be forgiving on that one. Moving into the second, what is the best piece of advice you would say that you've received and would like to pass on to others? I do believe that when you like something, you got to move quick. Uh, and I received a piece of advice from Guilherme Benchmal from XP when I was fundraising for 30 Knots before SoftBank, and he said, you know, I'll just give you one advice. But whenever you find an opportunity, make up your mind fast. Don't take six months. Uh, and when we came to Latin America, we we're taking three months. Nowadays, we take two, three weeks. <laughs> uh, we have gotten faster, but we're always waiting, knowing enough with making the right decision, right? But overall, the biggest thing is like being relatively quick on your analysis. Oftentimes that requires that you study sectors before investing in specific companies. So you come with a prepared mind as opposed to just randomly reacting to a certain company. So you already mapped the sector, you already mapped the companies, you know how their products compare and you know which team is the best and 
you know, all those things. So that's the ideal situation. Doesn't mean we are always doing things that way. We are changing the way our 30 investment professionals are organized. We are big enough now that we're going to organize by sectors. And before we were all journalists, you know, what I'm describing to you, I'm putting to work. So that's my recommendation to to people. It's just that that was a good piece of advice. Fantastic piece of advice, indeed. Last question then. Three keywords that describe a successful business, in your opinion. Quality of the team. That's number one. A hard problem to solve because that creates a barrier to entry. That's problem number two. And third, creating a ton of value to your customer so that your product or idea is a no-brainer in terms of product market fit. Lots of value to customers, awesome team. Those are the key things. That's a wrap. Is there anything else you would like to share about SoftBank? Any any plans for the future? Any Anything that you would like to share? No, I, I would like to just say how humbled we are and how fortunate we are to have come to the, re the region at the right time. I want to thank for all the entrepreneurs that allowed us to partner with them. Uh, without the, the, those partnerships, we wouldn't be here today. Um, and we're just getting started. This is uh, inning one. You know, it's it's just the beginning. We have lots of lots to do. And there will be tough moments. Right now, everyone is like, you know, oh, everything is great. Everything is, you know, capital is abundant. I'm sure in the next five years, there will be a moment where everything everything looks the reverse. And, and then we're going to see... The entrepreneurs who really deserve to be there, the investors who really deserve to be there, and so on. I want to make sure that we are on the right side of that scenario, providing capital to the portfolio companies and supporting them in tough moments, because right now it's just very easy to exist. <laughs> and then uh, you got to remember that, you know, the market is not made of moments like this forever. Fantastic. Absolutely. Fully, fully agree there. And it's going to stay exciting. Looking forward to, to hearing about any future investments of SoftBank. And thanks so much again for, for making the time, Paolo. Really interesting content there. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you, Patrick. Pleasure.